Welcome to the Subtle Cane Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Smith, broadcasting from the Aorta of America, beautiful festival city, Oshkosh, Wisconsin, where we pump out reason and pierce through the propaganda. Here we go. Well, I'm back, and I have to say, I'm actually pretty excited. I gotta tell you, I just turned in my last assignment for the semester, so, oh my goodness, that felt good. This is episode 10 of the Subtle Cane Podcast, They Blinded Us with Science. If today's your first day with the Subtle Cane Podcast, thank you for gracing us with your virtual presence. If you are a returning listener... Thank you for your continued support. It is much appreciated. Today we're going to talk about scientism. What is scientism? Well, scientism, as defined by Merriam-Webster, is, number one, methods and attitudes typical of or attributed to the natural scientist. Definition two, an exaggerated trust in the efficacy of the methods of natural science applied to all areas of investigation, as in philosophy, the social sciences, and humanities. Just as a side note, hate to get off on a rabbit trail right away, but as a side note, the, the dictionary has been relentlessly reconstructing the English lexicon to fit narratives with a thinly veiled contempt for us, I think, in a truly Orwellian fashion, BTW. But I digress. We are speaking of scientism today. There's a growing trend that I've noticed, and I don't know if you've noticed this, but there's a new religion in town, haven't you heard? Or maybe not new, but growing. A cult-like adoration for people in the scientific community. An adoration that is greedily lapped up by the clergy of this burgeoning movement. The faithful have a fervor for their belief that shames the most charismatic of Pentecostals, and though their God is a God that demands much of them, they are all too happy to kneel in devotion at the altars of their chapels, universities, hospitals, government buildings, corporations. They meet in the vast cathedral of internet echo chambers, where they receive the words by which they live or die. This is not the worship of the state that we saw in the Soviet Union or, or North Korea or 1930s Germany. This is not just socialism or communism. It's scientism. Let's take a trip back in history. It, it's, a, it's a jump back. Let's think about the time before Gutenberg and the explosion of technology that was the printing press. The Christian church was at the mercy of its clergy. Now, I'm not here to cast shade on the Catholic Church. I'm not. But I do think that it's pertinent to go over a little history, if only for the sake of context. We are a largely literate population that enjoys access to an almost unlimited supply of information. It's hard to think that, relative to all human history, it's not long ago that literacy was rare among common folk. And it was mainly the elite and the nobility that enjoyed not only the ability to read, but also access to literature. So when the clergy spoke, 
They spoke for God. The average person had no access to scripture. They often would sit through entire services in Latin and wouldn't even understand a word of it, or maybe a word or two. But when the clergy made a proclamation about how they should live or what they should believe, the faithful had little choice but to believe what they were told. Then something amazing happened, the printing press, and people began to have access to literature. The scriptures were available to more and more of common man, and more and more of common man began to read. And the discrepancies between the proclamations of the clergy and the scriptures themselves found the light of day, and in so doing, the Reformation was born. Western thought and doctrine exploded throughout Europe, and the world would never be the same. There's a whole lot more to all of that, of course, but the advent of the printing press was simultaneously one of the most destructive and creative events in the history of man. Why would I say destructive? Well, technology is always a two-edged sword. We forget that, and I will be returning to that topic to flesh it out some more at a later date, but the business of the day isn't going to allow for that now. Remember, before the printing press, we had hand-copied manuscripts. The printing press was an unbelievably transformative invention, which fueled the Renaissance, the Reformation, the American Revolution, the advancement of science. It did a lot of good. We recognize this, but do we, do we recognize what we lost? I'm going to bring a quote from Mr. Neil Postman. I've brought him up before. He's an author. He's written some very, I think, important books like Technopoly or Amusing Ourselves to Death. And the quote goes like this, quote, technological change is neither additive nor subtractive. It is ecological. I mean ecological in the same sense as the word is used by environmental scientists. One significant change generates total change. If you remove the caterpillars from a given, in, a given habitat, you are not left with the same environment, minus caterpillars. You have a new environment, and you have reconstituted the conditions of survival. The same is true if you add caterpillars to an environment that had, has had none. This is how the ecology of media works as well. A new technology does not add or subtract something. It changes everything. End quote. I think that's an important thing that we forget to consider. New technology does not add or subtract something. It changes everything. It, it's an ecological change. Now, fast forward to the age of technocracy. The information age, huh? And now we have access to more information than we could ever begin to digest. I mean, you could spend every day of your life trying to sort through the mountains of data and opinions, and you would never even get close to brushing the surface of all that is available. This, I believe, has given us maybe a sense of a bravado, no? The world at your fingertips, with just a few keystrokes, you too can be omniscient. But we know that we don't really know much. I mean, do we? I'm not excluding myself from this. We joke around and we say, 
well, if it's on the internet, then it must be true, right? That's something I hear people say a lot when they hear something that doesn't jive with what they believe. And it's easy to dismiss something as misinformation when it is convenient and then latch on to it like it's gospel truth when we agree with it. That's that confirmation bias uh, that I mentioned in an earlier episode. So what do we do with that problem? I mean, there's some options open to us. We can learn to evaluate the things we hear and read about it in a way that uses reasoning so that we can spot inconsistencies and therefore dispose of the need to know all of the intricacies of a topic because we can recognize when an argument is made that uses circular reasoning or self-contradictory statements to support itself or someone uses an appeal to authority rather than actually making an argument. And that last one, that's a doozy. The appeal to authority, it's the hallmark of scientism and technocracy. The clergy absolutely love that one. And when I say the clergy, I'm talking the clergy of scientism. The religion of scientism is what I think of it as. Because not unlike the clergy of the bygone past, the, the clergy of scientism are the only ones allowed to interpret their academic scriptures. Here's an example. I recently spoke to a professor about the Omicron variant. And I know, please, Aaron, please, no more Rona. But, but bear with me. I asked her if the apparently weakened and more transmissible variant might potentially be an indicator that the pandemic is drawing to a close. By the way, that, that's typically how it happens. A virus mutates into a weaker, more transmissible variant that that peters off into endemic insignificance. That's what happened to the Spanish flu, for instance. This professor, uh, by the way, who is an amazing woman and very kind and very passionate about what she does, uh, but this professor is a doctorate-level public health nurse with 40 years of experience in the field. And with a straight face, she disregarded all of her education and training, all of her experience, and could not even answer me with a potential affirmation and said, I mean, seriously, said this, quote, oh, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see what the CDC tells us to think about that. End quote. I was was literally dumbstruck. I said, what? This is what I'm talking about. I, I recognize that we need people to specialize in areas. Right? Specialization has its place. Experts are necessary. It's a necessary part of a modern society. We can't all know how to do everything. Uh, we need specialization. But, but this is an important lesson. That someone with this much experience and this much understanding uh, of how epidemiology works as, as a public health nurse with, with over 40 years of experience, like I said, at a doctorate level, couldn't even bring herself to trust her experience and her education enough to say, well, that's typically what happens, or that could be. It, it was honestly like a, a blank stare and a, a rote memorization of, of the line she was supposed to recite, which was, I don't know, we'll have to wait and see what the CDC tells us to think about that. Unbelievable. This reliance 
on on the quote unquote experts. Neil Postman said something about this too. Quote, we must keep in mind the story of the statistician who drowned while trying to wade across a river with an average depth of four feet, end quote. <laughs> I got a kick out of that. Now there's a difference between education and indoctrination. Okay? Education and indoctrination. Education teaches us how to think. Indoctrination teaches us what to think. Honestly, we're not, we're not being educated in our schools and universities. I mean, to some extent, but for the most part, we're not being educated in our schools and universities. We're, we're being indoctrinated. We're not being taught how to think. We're being taught what to think. The clergy has reasserted itself in our society in a terrifying way. But we have the tools to avoid it, or at least mitigate it. You know, we can learn to reason. We can learn to recognize inconsistencies, challenge authority, and never let an appeal to authority end a discussion. I'm not a scholar. I'm a middle-aged man with a modest level of formal training. But I try to teach myself what I can. And I, and I read. I'm a voracious reader. I'm trying to help in what little way I can to share information I come across and then leave you to come up with your own conclusions about it. I care about you all. I do. I know it sounds a bit sentimental, but, but I do this because I see the people around me and I can sense a hunger for something more than just the narratives that are being fed to them. I think people want more, but, but, but it's hard. It seems like from every angle, there's another person waiting to tell you what to think instead of teaching you how to think. There are many people more qualified than me to do this, and, and many are. Many are. But, but I have this hope, this goal, that even if I only make a difference for, for one of you, that all of my work will be well worth the time. You know, we got to keep our minds sharp. Help me with this project of mine. You can email me at subtlecane at protonmail.com and help me produce this show. You'll notice that there aren't any commercials. There's no ads. That's because advertising is manipulation. And in order to bring you the content that I want to bring you, I don't want to have any outside influence. And, and so you could potentially help me by contributing to the show. There's links in the show notes about how to do that. Back to the message at hand. We got to be brave and, and we got to question everything. You know, suspend your belief and sift and winnow through the information you take in. You have the power to change your life, and in so doing, you will be a light to others. People watch other people, don't we? We watch other people. And when we stand up against the rising tide of totalitarianism and choose to speak truth to power, it causes a ripple effect that can change the course of history. Too grandiose? Maybe. Maybe. But I promise you this, the more you learn how to think, the harder it will be for them to tell you what to think. The more you learn how to think, the harder it will be for them to tell you what to think. I had, on several occasions now, I have had fellow students that I have never spoken to before stop me outside of classrooms. And, and I'll be honest, I, I'm pretty quiet in the classroom, but there are certain things that I just have to, I have to comment on. And, and I do it respectfully and I do it 
in a way that I that I think will be productive to the conversation and with empathy. But uh, but I do challenge some of the things that are brought to the classroom, and I've had several fellow students stop me outside the classroom now and say to me, "Thanks, thanks for speaking up. Thanks for saying that. Thank, thanks for asking that question. You know, you're not alone, and, and you and you help me feel like I'm not alone because I agree with you. I just don't want to say anything. We got to get past that. I just don't want to say anything." Because there's more of us out there. You are made to feel isolated. You are made to feel alone because of the way the narrative is pushed um, through media, through social media, through all the the various ways that we are being censored on on various platforms. So it's important to remember that. Let's get back to scientism. Scientism is not science. It is the religion and worship of science as, as the only tool we have for understanding the world around us. Science is truth. That, that's not a scientific statement. It's a creed spoken by a member of the clergy who wants you to believe that his words and actions are infallible. Utter this sacred mantra, and all notion of rational discourse is to be scorned as sacrilege. Never mind the fact that the search for truth is a process— that should never be complete, and the humility it takes to conduct real scientific inquiry is entirely missing from these technocratic minders of humanity. Never mind that the dynamic and mysterious nature of the world is constantly confounding the greatest minds, and never mind the many fundamentally disparate opinions of those in the scientific community that don't conform to the majority. I'm telling you, Scientism is mob rule, and and it shouts down the opposition, not from a position of righteous indignation, but from a position of power and collaboration. You know, in in the entire history of man's search for knowledge, it has only ever been the disparate voices that have furthered our understanding of the natural world. That's that's the truth. It, it's only ever been the ones who were brave enough and crazy enough to challenge the narratives that have, that have propelled us into the future. If it was not so, we would not be able to drive to work in our cars or perform surgeries or use antibiotics to fight infections. We would be as we were. No progress is made by the stagnant and strict adherence to dominant narratives. I'm not saying it's all been good. On the contrary, as I stated earlier... All technology brings with each gift a price, but the silencing of opposing views is only ever the tool of tyrants. To seek truth, we must not allow these zealots to turn science into a monolith of unchallenged orthodoxy. We just, we cannot let that happen. I'm going to repeat a quote that I have brought to you before from Mr. Neil Postman, and and this reiterates what I was saying earlier about education and indoctrination. Quote, Once you have learned to ask questions, relevant and appropriate and substantial questions, you have learned how to learn, and no one can keep you from learning whatever you want or need to know. End quote. Educate yourself. Don't let people indoctrinate you. Recognize the difference between science and scientism. Be on guard. We're going to talk a little more about what has been going on around us from a psychological point of view. 
in, in a coming episode. I mentioned him before, Mr. Ma- or Professor, I should say, Matthias Desmet, and I think I think you're really going to enjoy it. We're going to do we're going to do a, a whole episode. If I I might not even be able to fit it in one episode. It, it may be two on mass formation. I think this is going to be a very important thing for us to go through. And I've been watching interviews with uh, Dr. Desmit and trying to catch up on some reading. Um, he's suggested that I read The Crowd by Gustave Le Bon. Um, there's another book I have in my Amazon wish list from a, a survivor of, uh, a, she was a Russian Jew. She was a survivor of the Holocaust and um, there, there's been a lot of good work done, so I'm trying to educate myself, but it's a bit of a cram, to be honest, to get it all done um, in the time frame in order to get this. I always try to stay about two weeks ahead of myself uh, in this process so that I have time in case something pops up, because life is life and, you know, things get busy. But um, as of right now, I am trying very hard to stay ahead a little bit more and I'm going to cram. I'm going to do my research. I'm going to do my homework and then I'm going to bring that information to you. I have, I have enough to do an episode now, but I really want to do a good job of this. Um, and I, and I really want, I think this is a very important topic to talk about in a, and I am excited about it and I'm looking forward to it. And I think that it will be quite revelatory if you are not familiar with, with the concept of mass formation or mass psychosis. And you don't have to end up at the same place I do. Don't, you know, no requirement to come to the same conclusion I do. I know there's people that have uh, different opinions about it, but I think that at least it would be a good service uh, on my part to bring the information to you and present what I have found. And then, of course... You do with it what you will. I sincerely appreciate your time. I'm looking forward to these next few episodes. I really think um, that they're going to be exciting. Or (laughs) it'll be exciting for me anyways, uh, sitting alone in my office. But I hope that you share that excitement with me. Thanks again for stopping by. For all you listening, you are valued. You are loved. And you are worthy. God bless and good night. There's no turning back once the fire's lit, let the embers glow and be done with it. I'm startled by my lack of fear as a 